0: Are we still ready to accept that God is in charge and has the best in mind, even if it looks scary for us at the moment? Hello, this is the Adventure Through the Bible podcast. My name is Matt. Joining me today are our friends Karen. Hello. And Amy. Good evening, and Tracy, are you there? I'm here. Oh, he is there. Wasn't sure. He's a uh, Tracy is on call tonight. So, so he may be in and out, but he is faithful and ready to talk with us. So Tracy, uh,
1: since I know you're not doing anything tonight, I've been meaning to go over my entire medical history with you on the air. Is that okay? Yeah, that's what they're doing to me right now. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah, Surely so.
1: I'm more interesting than your paying clients.
2: Yeah.
1: Oh wow, that tone of voice. (laughs) 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 don't
0: We normally record on a Sunday morning, but this time we're recording on a on a Tuesday evening, just to try to uh, get a little extra uh, content under under our belts, um, so that we don't have to uh, have have dead space uh, when you're expecting an episode. And so Tracy is so kindly to uh, kindly uh, joining in with us, even though he's on call. So um we we may be grant, be gifted with his wisdom tonight may not who knows um, so but, let's go easy on
1: sorry. him
0: karen. yeah we'll go easy on him and if well <laughs> if i if i see that he's muted we'll make fun of him so
1: yeah that's, well that's... and i just got home from work not too long ago and i'm finishing my dinner while we eat so there's that
0: <laughs> all right you finishing nope. your dinner while we eat
1: while <laughs> finishing my dinner while we record there we go there we go <laughs>
0: karen can't think on an empty stomach so you know <laughs> all right yeah so yeah it's been it's been a day and i was just telling amy that i was warding off a headache and a leg cramp before we started and i think that the headache is going to be gone because my vision is back and i'm i am i am confident that the leg cramp is going to go away uh, because i am pounding down the water now which is probably going to make it interesting about halfway through our recording
3: yep yep
0: so anyway um, enough with the old man problems And uh, let's get into why we came here We are studying the book of Daniel Which is so, ex- I'm so excited about this You guys, we, we, we've already talked about chapters 1 and 2 And our context, of course, and if you've been following along with us Is that is that the nation of Judah has been conquered by uh, 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 um, Babylon wow I've been saying it so much i couldn't think of it but um uh, has been conquered by babylon and or i guess in the context of the beginning of daniel it is being conquered by babylon but daniel and his friends hananiah oh boy can we even remember their jewish names
1: mishael uh,
0: mishael and, and azariah better known as shadrach meshach and abednego they they have been taken to babylon they have been put into the service of the king. They have been educated. They have been um, well. Daniel specifically has been put into a position of basically uh, an advisor uh, as a wise man. And last week we talked about um, we talked about this image that Nebuchadnezzar had dreamed about, and Daniel was called in actually Daniel asked for time to 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 interpret this dream because um, Nebuchadnezzar was ready to kill all the wise men in the country because none of them could interpret this dream even though Did he you wouldn't. notice
1: Daniel wasn't called dender in that that made me wonder if Daniel was still in his training.
0: Interesting. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know cuz yeah he didn't Because he didn't find
1: him. out about the king's dream until the king's guard showed up at his at his house to kill him. Right? And he was like, "Wait, why why why?" And they said, oh, well, this happened. And he was like, oh, well, um, let's buy me some time, right? Yeah, yeah, and then he, yeah. And then he did something. But, like, why wasn't he called?
0: Right. Interesting. Yeah, I hadn't considered that. That is an interesting uh, point of view on that. So maybe maybe he hadn't finished his training. That's interesting. Um, but so this image, see, we need to talk about the image just briefly here because the con- it, its context is very important with Chapter 3. This image is of a large... Uh, well it's a it's a large statue and the statue is made up of different items the head is gold uh the the arms and chest are silver the thigh and or, or the, the the waist and thighs are brass the legs are iron and the feet are iron and clay and then that whole thing gets hit with a rock at the end of the dream it gets basically disintegrated and and scattered to the wind and daniel had interpreted to uh Be- I'm jumping ahead here, Nebuchadnezzar, that the image represented Nebuchadnezzar as the head of gold and then the succeeding kingdoms that would be in power after. I and mean, we talked about how that would be Medo-Persia, Greece, yep. Rome,
1: mm-hmm. and
0: then divided Europe.
1: Well, divided so, nations all over the world. I mean, there was, we're not talking about European nations here we're talking about rulers of the then known world well the then known world sort of expanded so
0: true i suppose better way to put it would be the the the, the, the divided up what was left over divided of the roman empire because it didn't seem to be i mean it doesn't seem to like it's really including things like china like, like amy mentioned australia you know the united states doesn't come into play at that point and the way, reason I say divided Europe is because it talked about those ten toes, and we talked about those those ten regions of divided Europe.
3: Well, and I uh, think too, but, as we proceed, you know, there's a, a lot of indication that it is uh, the divisions of the Holy Roman Empire. Hmm.
0: Hmm. And so, but the the entire point of the vision is that Nebuchadnezzar is great to begin with, but his time will be done, and eventually that rock that we know as jesus will create a kingdom that will last forever and so that was yeah exactly yay and that was the gist of of that vision well we start into uh daniel chapter three then and even though nebuchadnezzar acknowledges god at the at the end of chapter two and he calls him god of gods and lord of lords But yet, when we get into chapter three, Nebuchadnezzar decides that he is going to build his own image. Now, I'm I'm clear. Usually when this is described to us, it sounds like he'd made something that looked like the image he saw. But he made the entire thing of gold. This guy's bank
1: account clearly is very full. Like, (laughs) seriously. Like read the measurements of this thing. This thing, what size was this image? Where's well, my? Well, I
0: I calculated it at 90 feet tall. Yeah. And and nine feet wide. So it's pretty right. skinny, but really tall. I mean, almost almost the length of a football field, tall. Right? No. No. I'm not a sports that's, guy. That's yards. A third of a football. That's yards. Sorry.
3: <laughs> at <laughs> no, any I'm rate, 90 feet. feet <clears throat> right. okay. Yeah.
0: Hey guys, did you know the Avs one? See there. Hey, I'm a, I'm a sports <laughs> guy now. Um <clears throat> yeah, so wait, anyway.
1: Who are the Avs?
0: <laughs> if you if you were still here, you'd <laughs> there's no way you wouldn't know.
1: Um I know.
0: <laughs> but okay, but at any rate, 90 feet tall, that's that's pretty darn tall. And and um
1: And made I, of gold. Wait, like so made.
2: is my calculation right in Especially, Matt, too, you being an electrician. Isn't that, like, maybe three stories high? Almost four? Yeah. 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 That's a big building. Mm Mm-hmm. When you you think about it.
0: Yeah, it's huge. The thing is really tall. So
2: almost a four-story, maybe a little bit over a four-story building. Yeah. a little old, super sunny, probably can be seen for miles and miles.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's uh, he's definitely making a statement here, and he calls all of these important people together to come and dedicate the image. Uh, it's basically rep. Sounds to me like it's representatives of all the nations he's conquered. It's not like everybody in the in all of Babylon is supposed to come to this thing, but it's very it's very certain that that there's going to be honor supposed to be given to this thing and to the point where he gives this command that when music is played everybody around is supposed to fall down i assume like kneel in front of it and it specifically says worship the image and anybody who doesn't worship is going to be thrown into a furnace
1: not only does this man have a gold problem but he has an ego problem
0: <laughs> yeah
2: that's what i was going to say is it's it's kind of about self it's like I know the dream, but I'm not willing to give up my, my status at this point. So how about I just say the whole thing is gold. So it's like self. Once again, we're at that point in self. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and I don't, I don't know if it's so
0: much, it's not like he isn't acknowledging the dream, but he is definitely at this point where he's in charge. He is definitely, uh, he's definitely propping himself up pretty, pretty hard. Well, so somewhere in this process, then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are called into this thing to, to be there for this. And it sounds like in the sea of people, I don't know how many people there were. We're not given really a number, but these three choose not to bow down. So the music plays, everybody bows down. Who knows? They probably have their who knows. They maybe have their faces to the ground. You know, I mean, it's going to be total prostration. And, and, uh, what's the word obeisance to this, uh, to this statue. And there's these three guys. I don't know how old they are. They're usually portrayed as being fairly young, standing up in this sea of people that are, that are bowing down to this thing. And some of the Chaldeans, they go and tell the King. So it's interesting to me here, like the King has to be told, it sounds like he's not even there to know this, but some of these Chaldeans go and tell him, says, These guys don't serve your gods or worship the image that you set up. And this puts Nebuchadnezzar into a rage. It's interesting to me here because I'm wondering I mean, for him to go into a rage over these guys, because I mean, it sounds like he's really ticked off about this. I'm wondering if these guys have been regularly challenging his authority. I mean, how much, I mean, if we remember last week, remember. You know, Daniel and those three specifically were told didn't want to eat the food that Nebuchadnezzar was providing to them. And now these guys aren't obeying this. What's, you know, essentially it's a simple command. It's a simple request. They won't do it. So I'm wondering, did he get so angry possibly because they haven't been or I should say maybe because they have been challenging him regularly. You know,
2: I think that's always an option, but when I was was looking at it and thinking about it, it was like, you know, I think the status of the king or the ruler was almost to a deity type of status. mm -hmm. So anything contrary to what he was saying was usually not met well, and, you know, he had basically conquered the known world. And so I think, let's just call it what it is. He was probably pretty arrogant. So it's what I say goes. And if it doesn't, you're going to hear about it.
0: Yeah.
2: Where, you know, I when I think back of when, you know, Daniel and his friends challenged the Kings, they challenged his rules on a lower playing field. So it was more like, you know, one of the leaders down the rung on, on foods, you know what I mean? Or schooling or something like that. Um, because if you remember it, you know, the uh, the leader of the eunuchs was like, listen, my head's on the line. So I don't know if it got farther, you know, farther than him with the food or if, you know, it was trying to be handled at a lower level, the challenging part. And then it was met positively. So, you know, I don't know how that was looked at when it was finally brought to his attention. And it was a good thing. Maybe it was overlooked.
3: I, I wondered a little bit about their relationship because he appears to know their names and maybe someone else just brings their names up to him uh, when the event is happening. But to me, it seems like there's definitely some jealousy going on. Like the Chaldeans bring it up with the King. I don't think he noticed. Um, It's more like, you know, certain, certain Chaldeans came near and accused the Jews. So they've gone out of their way to rat these guys out and nebuchadnezzar then subsequently calls them by name so i i kind of wonder if he he didn't already know them uh from you know from
1: his, their friendship with daniel
2: mm-hmm. yeah. or that they were just jewish in nature
1: i think he probably did know them by name this is the same king who at the end so if we go back to chapter one in verse uh 19 and 20 at the end of their three years of training all four of them go before the king, and it says the king talked with them, and he found them right. equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. Yes. And every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. So he knew them then. Like, that's a standout bunch. Yeah. And then yeah. if you fast forward to... After Daniel interprets the dream, um, the king puts him in charge of a lot. And Daniel, in turn, appoints the other three as rulers over provinces. So I suspect these guys are well-known names to the king.
0: I would think so. So whether this is a regular thing for them to disobey or not, the king is, he's pretty rankled over it. But I think maybe, like you say, if maybe because he does know them well and he knows that they have served him well in the past, he decides to give them another chance. And uh, basically they go, no, we don't need another chance. God can save us from the furnace, but even if he doesn't, and that's an interesting and very important uh, thing there, even if he doesn't, we still won't serve your gods or bow to your image. What an interesting phrase. We know he can save us, but even if we won't, we're not going to do this thing. What do you think of that? We know he can, but even if he won't.
2: I wonder if that just shows that, you know, they they see a little bit more, you know, we're always talking about that finite little keyhole of, of vision that we have of of, you know, the big plan. You know, maybe they see a little bit more than that and say, you know what, if this is a stand we need to take, Even if it costs us her life, then that's in God's hands. And we give all that to him.
0: Mm -hmm. Didn't Job say something similar?
2: Though he slay me.
0: Though he slay me.
2: me, I will still follow.
0: Mm -hmm. And that is, I think that is an important distinction for us to make. Because it's, I think it's relatively easy for us to follow when everything is going well but when things don't go the way we want them to are we still ready to accept that god is in charge and has the best in mind even if it looks scary for us at the moment i think uh this is where we have to we have to check our ego maybe isn't the right thing but we we, we just got to we got to we've just got to be prepared to take whatever comes and i
1: mean, um, I mean it's our it's our sense of self importance right well surely yeah. the can't continue without me right here where i am no that that may not be true that may not be true you know for most of us our impact is in the grand scheme of things fairly small and if we were to drop dead today there would be a ripple and then the earth would close ranks and move on and that's how it would go so there aren't too many people who are going to stand before a king (laughs) with this great call like this you know
3: in verse 16 i like how they immediately answer, and in the King James, it says, "We are not. We're not going to be careful in how we answer you," mm. um, which is an interesting way to preface your your resistance. You know, I, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna pussyfoot around. Mm-hmm. Um, is essentially what they're saying. They're and they're saying we trust our God, and He is able to deliver us. Yeah. But if He chooses not to, He won't. Um, but yeah. we're still not going to do it. So yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. They very quickly come to that that decision. They haven't even. Yeah. I mean, I, I would imagine they probably had to think, had thought about it. They probably had talked about it. Mm-hmm. But when it came right down to it, they knew. They knew what, what they were going to do.
3: What did you say the King James says? Uh, we will not be careful with our answer.
1: Okay. We, we are not so, careful
3: to answer you in this matter.
1: Okay. So I've got a parallel Bible. It's got four different it's got two translations and two paraphrases next to each other. So I I always like reading those to see how they're different. Yeah. So the New King James says, "O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter." No need. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then NIV says, "King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter."
0: We're not going to try. We're not going to try to make excuses. We're not going to argue. We are we are simply going to do what we know is right.
3: Yeah, exactly.
0: We are not gonna get on social media and post and argue and <laughs> scream and 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 go into long diatribes about why your opinion is bad. We are simply gonna do we're simply gonna do the thing. We're simply gonna do what we what we know is right. And that's it. That's it. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> we're not gonna yeah we're not gonna we're not gonna we're just not gonna argue about this and so (laughs) and nebuchadnezzar holds to his word to the point i mean he more than holds to his word oh more
1: than he gets mad he does not like being talked to that way at his special gold statue (laughs) dedication ceremony
0: yeah yeah so it the bible says that he commands the furnace to be heated seven times hotter than usual is it actually seven times hotter? I don't know. I'm sure the real important point, part part of this is that it's crazy hot.
3: Right. It's, but does that mean he usually has a fire burning to burn people?
0: <laughs> well, you know, I saw that this was probably, possibly this furnace was made specifically for creating this image, maybe.
2: Mm,
1: okay. Okay.
0: You know, so that's why he would have such a big thing there. A um, giant
1: smelting oven.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, don't know that for sure, but it could make some sense that that, you know, if you're going to have a have this big furnace close by, maybe it was for for melting down gold. I don't know if it was used to cover something and make it look all gold. I, I kind of doubt that it was pure gold being that big, but um
1: I'm not thinking solid.
0: Yeah. Right. So so he, he gets this furnace crazy, crazy hot to the point where when he commands these young men to be put into the fire. It kills the men that put them in the fire. (laughs) They're called men of valor in the new King James. Mm -hmm. And, and um, it says that they get put in Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego are put in fully clothed. And it specifically says it's fully clothed and, and it's so hot. It kills the men that put them in there. And where this is where it really gets cool and weird. Because after they toss them in, Nebuchadnezzar looks in and he doesn't see three men. He sees four. And he says, the form of the fourth is like the son of God. What a fascinating thing to see.
3: Yes. I always wonder,
0: what does that look like? Now, it depends on your translation of what exactly he says, because he says the son of God. I saw notes that said. A son of the gods. Regardless, right. he's seeing somebody in there who does not look like the other three.
1: Yeah, he recognizes it, that fourth being, as supernatural. Yep.
0: Yep.
3: Yeah. He has to. Yep. Yeah.
0: So, what did that look like? You know, we've talked a lot of times about how the presence of God is like fire. And if this is. If this is something that looks like that, you know, is this somebody who's like brighter than this crazy hot fire? I don't know. I don't know. I, I, yeah, obviously, obviously, this other being is looks more than simply human. And I gotta tell you, I think it would freak me out to see four people when we had thrown in three.
3: Yeah, I'm
0: sure. <laughs> Obviously, obviously, he's kind of taken aback by it. But so Nebuchadnezzar calls these men to be pulled out of there then or bring them out. I don't know if he calls them out. I don't don't know how he could bring them out because it's too hot. But he brings them out and there is absolutely no sign of fire on them. It said not even the smell of smoke on them, which I mean, if you've I don't know, you know, you know, what are they burning? That's so hot. Is it? Is it wood? Is it? you know some kind of a fossil fuel i don't know but you don't have fire without something you know creating creating the smell and so not even this is not even the smell of fire is on these guys you can uh,
1: smell that fire half a mile away through the woods
0: yeah mm-hmm.
1: and oh, yeah. it for two weeks
0: <laughs> yeah so so um not just burnt are not just not burnt, not singed, not scorched. They don't even, they don't even smell like smoke. And what do you do with that? How I do you? Not as good. <laughs> yeah, I think
3: so. Yeah. I just find it really interesting how Nebuchadnezzar is this arrogant, uh, you know, completely narcissistic character, which is how he seems throughout the early part of the book. And yet God continues to pursue him and, you know, this has to have been in part for Nebuchadnezzar, for him to gain understanding that, you know, you're only a man, you're you're only a human, and uh, and so even though he's sort of a nasty character in many ways, he's also someone that God is reaching out to, which I find interesting.
1: Yeah, and it and that shows up. Nebuchadnezzar recognizes his place because of the appearance of this fourth person so like chapter 3 verse 26 it says nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted shadrach meshach abednego servants of the most high god Mm -hmm. come out come here right so something happened there whatever he saw the the fact that the guards that even got close to him to the furnace to throw these guys in died, but the people in there are walking around and there's a fourth person there who is recognizably divine. You know, he sees his place immediately and responds in front of all his nation's leaders immediately, out loud. So good for him for doing that.
3: Yeah, exactly. He is still, um, he, he's still got a soul.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, Nebuchadnezzar, He's recognizing God, mm-hmm. he's recognizing him, but he doesn't seem to quite get it. I don't know. Was ne- did Nebuchadnezzar consider himself a god at this point, like Pharaoh did, like some of these other kings did? I wonder. You know, that's what I'm.
2: You know, I was thinking because a lot of those early, early, I don't even know if we call it like a dynasty or what have you, or early cultural, they did. If you were, if you were the leader of the king, you got that deity status. Yeah. I don't know if the Chaldeans were any different.
0: I don't know. Yeah. It would make sense of why he has this ego, but doesn't seem to quite commit. uh, Or, you know, he has this recognition, recognition of God, but doesn't quite commit.
1: But I think this is true of people who hold power. You know, it happened with Pharaoh.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Right. Um, It happened in the New Testament. Remember the guy who comes to Jesus and says, please heal my servant. Mm -hmm. And he tells Jesus flat out, basically, you know, in in paraphrase, I recognize you as an authority. And I recognize that because I myself am a man of authority. I am over these soldiers. And if I say to one, go, he goes. If I tell him to come here, he comes here and in you i recognize this ability also i don't need you to come to my house you can heal my servant from here right so mm-hmm. i think amongst these people who hold earthly power i don't think the starting point is a personal relationship with their lord and savior jesus christ <laughs> i yeah. think i think the starting point is the recognition that in the scheme of power They have some, and he is the ultimate. I think that's more the thing.
0: Yeah. You know, I I think there's a lot of people, too, that recognize God as God, but aren't ready to commit to him yet, you know? And that seems to be the story of Nebuchadnezzar, where he's—I mean, this is the second time that he has— literally come out right out and said this is god this is the god of heaven this is the god of gods this is this is the guy but he's but he nebuchadnezzar still isn't isn't committing himself there he still isn't ready to claim that that worship of him claim that commitment to him he's still he's still holding on to pride even after this
3: which is why Probably it does come to a head in the next chapter.
0: Yeah, yeah. So I mean, he, you know, he makes a decree that no one can speak bad about God, and to the point where he even promotes those three guys now. But yeah, he, he hasn't quite committed because we get into chapter four, and Nebuchadnezzar gets another dream, and interestingly here, Nebuchadnezzar is the one writing the chapter here. So that was kind of, that's kind of interesting to me that um it's we have this so book. So
3: interesting. Yeah, we
0: have this book named Daniel. Of course it's more about the time period of Daniel, but Nebuchadnezzar himself is writing down what happens here. And it starts out by saying that he's sharing the story to the world. So if a guy is ready to share a story, we know that something is happening where he is maybe he's finally come to a realization. He's come to a to it, it's come to a head for him. And he has he has another dream. And he brings in all the wise men again to interpret this dream, but once again they can't do it. So he calls on Daniel. Uh, and here again, I think it's interesting. Nebuchadnezzar calls him Daniel. He mentions belt the name Belteshazzar, but it's pretty clear that Belteshazzar is not the name that Daniel is called by in Babylon. It's uh, he's been given it as an honorific, but even the king, it seems thinks of that almost as a as a, as an aside, as a ha- as a hindsight. And that's still that still is interesting to me. But so Nebuchadnezzar has this dream and he sees this huge tree and it says it grows tall and strong and it can be seen all over the world. Of course, this is a dream, you know. But uh, this dream or this this tree is just huge. It says it's attractive, full of fruit, has beautiful uh, leaves. And it says all flesh is fed from it. Then it says a watcher. And this was an interesting phrase to me. A watcher comes down from heaven and orders this tree to be cut down. And first, of all, you know, I'm going a watcher. Who's the watcher? We don't really get given any uh, real information on that. That's going to make my my the gears in my head turn. It's probably they're probably going to seize up because I don't know. I don't even know exactly what they mean there, but he comes down from heaven, orders this tree to be cut down. And he says, leave the stump and bind it with bronze and iron. And then it says, let him graze with the beasts on the grass of the earth. Let his heart be changed from that of a man. Let him be given the heart of a beast and let seven times pass over him. So it's interesting. It goes from this tree and then it says, let him graze with the beasts. Let his heart be changed. Let him be given the heart of a beast. And so then it becomes very clear that this tree, that, 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 that it, it shifts from a tree to a person. And it finishes off by saying, in order that the living may know that the most high rules in the kingdom of men. So that we're given the reason for what's going to happen. And Daniel's called on to make the explanation. He says that the tree is Nebuchadnezzar and he will live with the beast in the field. He will eat grass like oxen and seven times, or as we've talked, I think we've talked about this in the past where times and years, those phrases are kind of interchangeable. So seven years will pass until Nebuchadnezzar knows that God rules in man's kingdom and he gives it to whoever he chooses. And then the kingdom will be returned to Nebuchadnezzar. What, what do you? I mean, what do you think of the? What do you think of the image? What does that? I mean, what thoughts is that bringing up for you?
3: So I love this image. I mean, it's it's basically saying that, you know, his kingdom is in many ways a sheltering tree. Like it's a place that even the animals, are cared for. Like it's in a way, it's seen earthly kingdoms as, uh, modes of provision for the world. Like, you know, it's a good thing to be in the kingdom of America. Or, you know, there are certain times in history when it's good to be in this kingdom or that kingdom. So that was an interesting way to present it to Nebuchadnezzar.
0: What about this whole, I mean, eating grass, living with the beasts? This is literal stuff.
1: Okay. Mm -hmm. My thought on this whole thing started with the timeline that was set out at the beginning of chapter four. Okay. Okay. And that is... Right after the statue thing, Nebuchadnezzar makes a public statement about the Most High God and this, that, and the other thing. Oh, no, it wasn't the beginning of chapter four. Then some time goes by and he has this dream. And the dream upsets him, but it doesn't come true for 12 months. And that, I think, is the key to the whole thing. So I think that the situation with the statue made inroads into Nebuchadnezzar's recognition of his place in the world. But God still gave him a specific thing to calm him down, (laughs) get that ego, you know, get that ego under control. And then he has a year. And when after a year goes by, then it actually comes true. Right when he's in the middle of congratulating himself on being amazing. So, like if you skip down to the end of the dream and the interpretation, when the follow-up starts, starts in verse 28. All this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. Twelve months later, as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, this is one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, Mm -hmm. he said... Is not this the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? Even as the words were on his lips, a voice came from heaven. This is what is decreed for you. So there's some kind of thing, whatever way that God is trying to work with Nebuchadnezzar, a huge part of it is getting him to recognize God's authority over him. Yes, he has a lot of authority here on earth. That was given to him by God. He only exercises it with God's will.
3: Um, I kind of want to look back a little bit before the affliction comes on him and, and see how Daniel responds. Because Daniel's response is, is really interesting. Like Daniel has a relationship with the king at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, and he respects him. And he says, my lord, the dream be to them that hate you. And the interpretation yeah. thereof to thine enemies. Um, and then, you know, and he goes on to say... Um, I know you saw a watcher, um, which is, from my understanding, the watchers are like some sort of judge, an angel that brings judgment or an angel that brings justice. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he advises him. He says, oh, king, in verse 27, uh, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins. So he tells him, repent, uh, show mercy to the poor. For this may be a lengthening of thy tranquility, so, you know, just like uh, what is it? James one twenty seven. You know, this is true religion. Take care of the widow and the poor. Uh, look after the fatherless. He's giving him essentially the definition of righteousness, and he's he's warning him. And I think that's interesting that he's he's concerned about the salvation of this king.
0: Yeah, I was going to point that out as well because I do I do think it's interesting that. Like we've seen, Nebuchadnezzar has acknowledged God, but not to the point of worship, not to the point of real acceptance, real conversion. And Daniel is still advising him gently. I like that he's kind of advising him gently. He's not pulling a punch here, but he's he's very gently nudging him do the right thing.
1: Yeah, and I think that's and I think that's where the rubber meets the road is what is it that shows up in your behavior. Not not what do you believe, what do you do with what you believe. So, like what what Daniel says to him, he gives him two pieces of advice. Therefore, your majesty, be pleased to accept my advice. Number 1, renounce your sins by doing what is right. Don't give it lip service. Do what's right, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And for wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. So that gives you a clue into the things that Nebuchadnezzar is struggling with as far as like what his behaviors look like,
0: yeah. he has this he has this very interesting and i I think kind of a common mo of, I think you said, giving lip service, but not really committing. And it's you know, we, I, I, I see it in more not just not just leaders but i see it in in a lot of people who i think they want they want to be in the favor of god but they don't really want to commit to it they don't really want to do what's right one of you was telling a story here a while back of somebody who somebody you know who was like what when's the last possible moment that i can that I can turn my life around to be saved.
3: <laughs> yeah, it was a co-worker of mine, and she she was interested in the prophecies, but she used to say, when is the last possible moment I could like be converted <laughs> and then meanwhile I'll
1: live however I want? Yeah. So today, for those who don't know, I work with a, a caseload that is all made up of severely mentally ill people. So they can be quite a handful. Today, I was over at this fellow's apartment, and he is struggling with a few things. People who do not live with him come into his apartment, and they trash it, and they run up his bills, and they eat his food until it's gone, and they make themselves comfortable. And he has taken to, first he took to sleeping on his living room couch because people were always needing quote-unquote his bed then he had to go get a cot and set up a cot in his living room because his bed and his couch were taken and he kind of wanted a place to sleep that wasn't on the floor right (laughs) so things are kind of coming to a head and so today I was at his apartment and we were having this conversation and my part of the conversation went along the lines of what is going on with your house why is it always full of other people that are using your belongings and then leaving you with the bill? And he said, I don't even know if I want to have an apartment. I think it might be better to be homeless. Hmm. I said, oh, yeah, why is that? And he goes, because I don't know how to stay in a home. I can't manage it. And I was like, really, you want you want to be living in a tent or a sleeping bag and sleeping in the woods? Well, no. Okay, that's the that's the other option. If you're not housed, you're homeless. Well, I don't want to be homeless. Okay, so I I kind of pinned him down on this and basically what it came down to, he wanted all the results of change, right? He Mm -hmm. didn't want everyone moving into his house and eating all of his food and sleeping in his bed and sleeping on his couch so that he had to go dig a cot out of the trash, somebody else's cot that they threw away so that he had something to sleep on, right? Uh, He didn't actually want those things but he didn't have the willingness to change his habits and become uncomfortable and enforce his own territory on his guests. Hmm. It's magic it's magic thinking. It's magic thinking. I want all the results of salvation without having to make any changes. Yeah. I want all the results of this or that or the other. I want all the results of working for years on my marriage. I want a great marriage, but I don't actually want to do the years of work i want to i want to stand before world leaders and defend my faith but i don't want to have to study the bible in order to be prepared for that Mm -hmm. right it's like it's it's magic thinking and it's it's hilarious when it's not you
3: when
0: it's
1: not you because it looks really funny in other people and then you catch yourself doing it and you're like oh yeah okay Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm." (laughs) anyway it's kind of a kind of a today in real life example of somebody who who wants things to be different than they are and 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 wants that to happen by some mysterious alchemy process in which they don't have to make any changes
0: yeah so i think that's a place where we have to um we have to evaluate ourselves and see these places where we do that because i think we probably all do that i know i know there's areas in my life where i do that you know, my, I look at my lawn, I'm like, it looks terrible, but I don't want to go out there and work on it, you know? <laughs> things like that. Those are, those are little things, you know? But we got to evaluate, you know, are there, are there bigger places in our lives where we want those results, but we don't want to, we don't want to commit to what we need to do to, to get those results. So, yeah, I, it's, uh, it's an interesting situation here with Nebuchadnezzar where he, he very fascinatingly, Is that a word? Fascinatingly. (laughs) We're going to say it is. uh, Acknowledges God. Acknowledges his power. Acknowledges his supremacy. But yet just doesn't quite get there. And so it's really interesting that then this is what God does. Where he quite literally makes Nebuchadnezzar basically i mean he goes crazy he's nuts i mean he sounds like he literally ends up on all fours out in a field and it says eating grass i don't know how that works but hair eating...
1: grew out beard grew out fingernails grew out he's eating he's an animal he's reduced to an animal yeah like he is under the thumb of the almighty and he's learning the hard way seven years
0: yeah for seven years he lives like this Uh, And it sounds like he's just out of his mind, just completely out of his mind.
1: But not quite, because look how it ends.
0: Well, yeah, because after seven years, it it says that he becomes aware again. And so, you know, for that seven years, I mean, it sounds to me, I mean, I don't know. Is he aware of the passing of time? Does he understand at all what he's doing? It sounds kind of questionable whether he does. I mean, I i I don't know, Karen. i mean you work with mental illness and and these sort of things an idea of just being so out of your mind that that you're not even aware because it sounds to me like he's not really aware of what he's doing
1: yeah it sounds like for a while he wasn't yeah i've always wondered if his i'm sorry karen oh no i go go ahead and then mine was going to be a new thought
3: Well, I've always wondered if his staff or his court, you know, did they try to care for him in the wild? See, that's what I (laughs) was
2: wondering, if they kind of kept him contained and kept an eye on him. Right. Did they let other nations know what was happening? But you know what I was thinking, too? Wasn't there another, wasn't there like a King of England that kind of went through, not so much the same thing, but he had some kind of, oh, a rare, where he couldn't process certain he couldn't metabolize certain foods or something like that. And it, it actually turned his, oh here we go. His urine like blue, but he was literally suffered from psychosis during this time because he couldn't process this food. And then one day it just kind of clicks back on and the lights come back on and he's back.
0: Huh? I've never heard but, about that. You
2: know, I'm wondering too, if, you know, if that was some kind of, you know, you just get to a certain point and, you know, it's everything's divinely, you know, taken care of and God just said, okay, your seven years is done and restored him. But you know, did the lights just come back on one day?
0: It's kind of what it sounds like. I don't know. So
1: I think, I do not think that there is any mental health illness you can compare this to, because I don't think it was naturally occurring. I think that anything that happened to Nebuchadnezzar was specifically put upon him by God for a reason. And whatever awareness he was left with was for God's purpose And the reason I know that is because he was told in advance that it was going to happen. And at the end of it, he sits up and looks toward heaven and Mm -hmm. God restores him.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, he suddenly has awareness. And and the awareness is is not just awareness of himself, but the awareness of God's control, God's supremacy, God's goodness and grace. He finally accepts God as God, as he needs to, as he should. And so it's very interesting to me how God worked with Nebuchadnezzar. You know, Nebuchadnezzar, oh gosh, wasn't it, wasn't Babylon, I want to say one of the, under, under the, one of the other prophets, Babylon was called the sword of God. You know, so this was under Nebuchadnezzar, Babylon served God in the capacity of removing Judah from the area, Taking care of all the surrounding nations, neutralizing them, but then throughout after all of that, Nebuchadnezzar gets converted. So it's more it's it's not like it's not like God just pointed a blunt in, instrument. It's like he pointed this instrument, but this instrument really did become his. It really was God's instrument because Nebuchadnezzar was able to recognize the authority of god through all of it i mean this is a real conversion story it's a it's a fascinating conversion story because as the chapter as the chapter finishes up it's and it's the last thing that's recorded by and about nebuchadnezzar is his his saying i nebuchadnezzar praise and extol and honor the king of heaven i don't know it's just so interesting to me to see to see the extent to which he had to go to reach that that true conversion where he was like always it seemed like he was just always on the cusp ever since that first dream it'd be interesting to know what other stories were happening in his life you know these are the these are like the major points of his life makes you wonder makes me wonder what other little things were going on making him think about it making him contemplate it making him wonder to the to the point where god was able to keep pressing Keep encouraging, just keep working a little bit until, and you know, sometimes drastically, but to that point of conversion.
3: It's also making me think about the, you know, how in verse 34 it says, My understanding returned to me. Mm-hmm. And how many times in both the Old and New Testament, when someone is worshiping idols or behaving in some terrible way, the Bible speaks as though they have lost their understanding, they've lost their mental capacity even though it's in our minds, they're just doing something bad. Right. Mm -hmm. But like Jesus talks about the prodigal son and it says, and he came to himself, uh, like the full realization of who God is, gives you the gift of sanity. Um, which is so fascinating the way the Bible almost always words that. And Mm -hmm. it does it again in verse 34 there. (laughs)
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I like that gift of sanity. Not, uh, more than just the lip service it sounds like it sounds like it got to a point where Nebuchadnezzar was able to really really recognize who God is what his role is and how to how to interact with him and you know largely from personal experience and I think that's you know there's a there that that there's a lot of lot to be said in that because um our experiences of course are the are where we where that rubber hits the road, and what we do with those experiences, uh, makes all the difference in how how we interact with God. And I always hate to see when people speak ignorantly on God's behalf. They say th- they say things that they think sounds right, and they're probably sincere. But a lot of times, you can you can kind of tell that they don't really they don't really ha- know what they're talking about. And it so, comes across as insincere. And sometimes it seems ignorant. Go ahead.
3: So I had a professor, a really very nice man. But he would always talk about how his intelligent son was just thinking too much. And that's why mm-hmm. he didn't believe. And you're like, wait, wait, wait. So if I think hard enough or well enough, I'll not be a believer, you know? And, mm-hmm. and I, I really found that annoying that he, that he really thought that way. Like he, he just was like, well, we just have to have faith. And I'm like, you're a professor. You need to, you need to pull it together, sir. <laughs> <laughs> and think hard.
0: Yeah. And, you know, I realized that statement that I made, it, it sounds a bit egotistical. I don't mean it to be egotistical because I don't mean it to, I don't, I don't want for a second for it to sound like I have all the answers and I know everything. I just, I know that I, I try that when I talk to I can't even speak now. I know that when I try to speak on God's behalf, I really try to make sure that I am expressing His character properly. Staying quiet if I can't, if I can't say something, I would say eloquently, but I stumble over my words all the time. You guys know that from <laughs> from doing this with me. <laughs> There's times where it might be a little better to be quiet. And so, I, I, what I'm getting at with that is when Nebuchadnezzar was talking before his conversion you know he really a lot of his stuff was rather ignorant i mean like you know if you don't if you don't follow the god of shadrach meshach and abednego i'm gonna have you killed you know well that's a that's kind of an ignorant way to look at at things you know uh that's that's action without really thinking but yet god still used him god saw the sincerity in him and uh used it to to really turn him.
1: So here's the thing. Like, we're all preoccupied with Nebuchadnezzar and these sort of grand moves that God made to try to catch his attention and bring him into belief of him, into relationship with him. I don't think that God's attention is any less to every other human on the earth. Mm-hmm. I don't, I mean, maybe there isn't such a dramatic display because most humans aren't in these elevated positions of power, but I don't think for one second that God does less, puts less thought into how to reach each person, less thought or effort or love or persistence into reaching every single person in the world.
0: Yeah, I think he's going to do what he needs to do. For individuals and you know maybe somebody with an influence like nebuchadnezzar requires a little heavier hand because of what he thinks of himself i mean it's very clear that he he had um he had an arrogance he had a lot of pride the way he got angry when people didn't do what he asked them to do asked them to do when they ordered him ordered them to do definitely god um Works just as hard with every one of us. It's just a matter of what he has to do individually. Fascinating stuff. Really, really interesting to see how God works with this king to to gain his his uh, conversion. You know, the influence then that Nebuchadnezzar would have on the rest of the nation, the rest of Babylon. Uh, it it would have been it would have been significant.
3: Well, I've always thought it would be kind of interesting to sit down with the Bible and just look up all those instances where the Lord specifically is reaching out to someone that the Jewish people considered heathen, and mm-hmm. and just look at and the and the number of times that there were interactions, um, and you know like uh, oh what's his name that Abraham lies to the first time, um, you know and and there's all these interactions where God is clearly reaching out, like Karen said. To all people, he's mm-hmm. trying to to reach us and to let us know about his concern for us. So I just think it'd be so fascinating if we could really look at both what the scriptures say, but also if we really knew how God was dealing with each person, we would be amazed.
0: Hmm. Yeah, yeah, and that is an interesting point that you bring up there too, because a lot of people want to think of the Old Testament as like the Jewish Bible, right? Right. The, this was the, that was for the Jews. Well. Right. Here's a huge story that really wasn't about the Jews. I mean, sure, they're involved, but this was about the king of Babylon. Mm -hmm. This was about the major superpower of the time. He wasn't Jewish, you know, not at all. He was not Jewish. And so we can't say that this Old Testament was just for the Jews because clearly it wasn't very clearly it wasn't right and so yeah it's it's very interesting to me that nebuchadnezzar writes this him this part himself um he's obviously convicted at this point to enough to write this and say this is what happened and the self-deprecation of it that he was willing to put out there i went crazy for seven years
3: right right you know? to admit it
0: to admit it i mean can you imagine no. somebody like kim jong-un doing that now Nope. <laughs> I went, I went crazy for seven years and, and, and then people brought me back. And that's a fascinating thing too, that the kingdom was still
2: waiting for him after seven years.
1: And that they gave it back to him. Right. Good gracious. Yeah, but
2: I think that's a testament to how strong they were.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And yeah. especially to, you know, if you look at, um, you know, some of the organizational things that they did and councils that they had and almost, you know, to the point of, um, having an earlier version of it, like a Senate too, you know, that's, they were pretty strong and pretty ahead of their time where it, you know, even seven years, the world couldn't catch up with them.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah. Cause something like that would, could, would have a potential to put a nation into turmoil. I mean, just oh, yeah. think about here. I mean, you know, we have a president for four years, maybe eight, that would be their whole term and we would flip out or at least our government would completely freak out if our, if our, if our president went, uh, completely inept, unable to do anything, you know, they would right away be getting somebody else in place. You know, we've already got all those rules in place. Well, that's why I think they're protecting
3: him. Like this isn't, this isn't going by itself.
0: This is not running by itself. No, no. Yeah. I think Tracy made that point earlier saying that maybe, you know, they were watching him and caring for him and, Mm -hmm. and, um, yeah. Well,
1: they didn't do a very good job because they didn't trim his hooves.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: They yeah. let him founder in the field like an untended horsey.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, but we saw it. But we saw it turn around. We, and uh, what an interesting story. That's probably a good place to to end it for this episode. Then. Um, next week we'll continue on. We'll start with chapter five, Daniel chapter 5 and continue on and see where we go. Chapter five is gonna knock your socks off if you haven't read it before, it is exciting. It is terrifying. Mm-hmm. It is fascinating. Uh, so make sure you so make sure you're studying Daniel and in the meantime, While you're waiting for that, remember that you can reach out to us at attbpodcast at theadventure.org with any questions or comments. Remember that you can look us up on Facebook. Uh, Make sure that you share this podcast with your friends and family. And make sure that you subscribe to the podcast so we can reach you in your feed each and every week. We look forward to talking to you again next week. Thanks for listening.